This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-3620. That's 800-261-3620. Finally, something about which we can be unreservedly happy together. I think we're happy together. Unreservedly every day, but this is in a special unreservedly happy moment because the terrorist who master-minded the slaughter of 130 Innocent souls in Paris has finally been captured uh, alive for now. Excelsior! Oh, yay, oh, yay, partners, friends, dear radio family. I draw you to this court and ask whether you have business before the court of truth. And if so, draw nigh and ye shall be heard via one 888 via one 888 And... Via Twitter, via J-A-Y underscore Severin. I look forward to it. Happy Friday edition to you, and it is a little, a little happier. It's a weird kind of happiness, I admit, but weird or otherwise, a little happier because the, uh, the piece of subhuman slime uh, named Slobby Slabham X or something like that has been captured alive in a uh, Paris suburb. A Paris terrorist uh, responsible for the organization and execution of the execution of 130 innocent souls four months ago, was this morning, just several hours ago, captured by SWAT teams and others based on a trail of scant evidence they have been following. And the, to me, the important thing I want to share with you, you may not agree, but I feel very strongly about it. This this terrorist, you see his picture. He's an aardvark looking swine. So, and I use the sw- I use the word swine with 
total intention. This aardvark-looking swine, whose picture you will see, uh, slobby, slobby slabham, lived openly. He never went anywhere. He didn't go on the run. He returned to the only neighborhood in which he's ever lived. And he walked around and lived openly among his fellow Muslims. Because in Malambique, this suburb, it is a fully uh, ghettoized you know, s- subsection of the Middle East, which is true in, say, London. There are, I mean, if, you, if, if, if you've been to London... You won't recognize it if you return. If you've never been to London, you can forget Pip Cheerio and the Dickens books and all of that unless you confine yourself to about one square mile and then out in the countryside because it is, as people now refer to it, Londonistan. This terrorist lived openly for four months among his fellow Muslims, I don't. I don't believe, for instance, there really are any, as in any, non-Muslims living uh, in this community. And he lived openly there for four months, despite the saturation, police level, and get this, the biggest manhunt on the continent of Europe in history. How? Why? Well, see, Guru Jay doctrine on the number of Muslims, the percentage of Muslims of whom we must really, in, in reality, be afraid. And what I mean is collaborators. And what I mean is my reference my renewed reference to a conversation with a dear friend uh, who I've known most of my life, who rose to be a very important person in national security. I can't go beyond that. Uh, And in conversations, this person has never divulged anything to me that I oughtn't know but has divulged things to me that one might divulge to a reporter during a deep background briefing or something like that. So I got and continue to get stuff which is not yet known. It's not in the newspapers. It's not in the news. But again, I want to emphasize nobody's sharing secret stuff with me. It's, it's I would again characterize it as the kind of things that uh, oper- operators might share on deep background with reporters or something on the understanding that, you know, it didn't come from me and, and I'm not giving you any secrets. I'm not divulging any secrets. It, that having been said, my point is the information is this. Here's a lifelong person from the intelligence community telling me, and this now goes back at least 10 years, 
And the information was this. I'm paraphrasing, but the spirit is sound. So are the words. What concerns us universally in the intelligence community, the American intelligence community, with regard to Islam, with regard to Muslims, what concerns us primo is not the number of operators, though that is of a concern to us. We think we have a pretty good handle on the operators. Now, that that may have changed because we now know there's been a proliferation of people actually doing this stuff, like the San Bernardino shooters, right? So pretty evidently nobody had a good handle on them. So the groundwork has changed. But when I was briefed, uh, what I was told was, we generally think we have as good a handle as possible on actual attackers. What we will, what worries us most is we will never have a handle on soft collaborators. Soft collaborators. Now, what did this person mean by that? Uh, you know, you may not just have discussed it in those terms. A soft collaborator is someone who isn't building a bomb, isn't planting a bomb, isn't doing, uh, isn't doing physical things to set up, you know, isn't manufacturing suicide vests, isn't doing physical, active, assertive, affirmative things to commit jihad against Americans on a regular basis. Again, the intelligence person in question said we, we are we are built to, to have a pretty good handle, pretty good handle from moment to moment on those. The ones we worry about are the ones you don't worry about. And the example I was given is, let's say a guy has a knock on the door, four o'clock in the morning, it's me, it's me, Ahmed. Who? It's me, Ahmed, from the mosque. Ahmed, you know me. And the guy behind the door rubs his eyes a little bit and says, Oh, yes, Ahmed. Ahmed, it's the middle of the night. What do you want? He said, Brother, I need you. I need you. In the name of our God, I need you. I need your help. Please, open the door. Uh, you're in no danger. Open the door, and I shall tell you. And I shall tell you in just a moment. This is Jay Severin, Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-3620. That's 800-261-3620. Thank you.
Jay Severin Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network. one 888 We have captured the French, the Belgians, and other interagency authorities. And really, does anyone want to bet me? Anyone want to bet me that there are no uh, Delta boys or SEALs in that group? I'll bet good money on that. Combined intelligence forces captured the most wanted terrorist in the world today. The leader of the gang that killed 130, slaughtered 130 people in Paris four months ago. He walked around and lived undetected, i.e. unreported, by his friends and neighbors in his all-Muslim neighborhood, which led me to tell you the story again of my uh, dear lifelong friend who became a VIP in uh, national and international intelligence services. And I told the story up to the point that this person told me, we think we have a pretty good handle on actors, the actual people who bomb and shoot. And we're, we're trying to, you know, it's where we focus our resources and all of that. But the people who worry us are these. And I just started to tell you a little story. Knock on the door, four o'clock in the morning. It's me, Ahmed from the mosque. You know me. Oh, Ahmed, what do you want? Uh, open up, you know, in the name of our religion, I need you. So he opens the door and he goes, what? What can I do? He goes, just brother, just let me in for a minute. He goes, I just need a place to sleep for the night. Let me sleep on your floor. Let me sleep in your basement. Just just let me sleep there until tomorrow morning. And uh, then, uh, and that's it. You know, you know, Ahmed, have you done something wrong? Well, you will hear many stories, but I, I just want you to, I, I just ask of you as brothers, you just let me sleep on your floor until, you know, noon tomorrow, and then I'll be gone, and then that'll be that. My friend in the intelligence agency said to me, and I, it's a very cheesy example, but a very real life one, what I am told the intel, our intel people worry about are not hard Islamists who are building and setting off the bombs. What worries them are the Muslims who would, in a pinch, do the soft conspiracy. They'd let someone sleep on their floor. Or, more likely, they would know that this guy, uh, El Slob, Ham Slab, was back in the neighborhood and probably heard rumors or maybe themselves saw him, but said nothing to police. I heard an intel person uh, anonymously say today that they hate the police so much that the Muslims in Molenbeek hate the authorities so much. They regard themselves as living in the Middle East. They just happen to physically be in Paris or London or Belgium, and they hate the police so much and see them so much as the enemy, they would never turn in anybody for anything if that person was a Muslim. And my friend said, for every one person who would set off a bomb, for every one Muslim who would set off a bomb 
or Islamist who would set off a bomb, there are probably 10,000 Muslims who have never maybe done an illegal thing in their lives and never would unless the circumstances arise. And then they might do this one little thing, just make this phone call or hide me overnight or I don't know, whatever. And we have to ask ourselves, what is Islam really? And I have an answer. I mean, I, the answer is anybody who would do that is an Islamist. An Islamist, not a Muslim, but an Islamist, radical. Enemy of America, enemy of humankind. And there's another kind. If you support Sharia law, you're an Islamist. If you support the application of Sharia law in America, and you live in America, if you live in America and you believe you support the application of Sharia law in America, you are an Islamist, an enemy of America and an enemy of humankind. If you support Sharia law in America... You are a kind of terrorist, in my view, and I think in the legal view. These, these are, these are, this is the line between peaceful Muslims, of whom there are many, of whom there are most, and Islamists in that one awful moment when one becomes the other. Or when you think you're fine and you've never done anything wrong and you have no intention of harming anyone except you think it's okay to beat to death your own daughter because she was seen outside the house alone or she looked at a boy. These are all real cases I can annotate for you. Beat your wife to death because you heard a rumor that she had a conversation outside the house with another man. These are called honor killings. And they are obligated under Sharia law. Uh, you know, uh, if you beat your daughter to death for she was seen driving a car or uh, asks to go to school or does not cover her entire body except for her eyeballs her entire life. Or did I say tries to go to school? Oh, and if you find out that someone there's a rumor that someone is gay or any any part of that uh, growing uh, lettered community, that's death, too. Stoned to death. Homosexuals, stoned to death. Women suspected of anything, stoned to death. That's Sharia law. If you believe in its application in America, you are no longer a peaceful Muslim, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of the law, and I'm pretty certain in the opinion of the intelligence community that endeavors to protect us. Anyway, this guy, Slob, Slam Hab, no, Ham Slab, uh, is in custody. He was shot, I'm sorry to say, only in the leg. I just hope it was tremendously painful. Uh, I hope they beat him until none of his bones were angular before they put the cuffs on. I hope trying to cuff him was like trying to cuff a water balloon. 
Um, and now he's in custody. And th- there was a dangerous fascination this morning uh, watching this, this situation at the police station. I thought a riot was going to, I thought they were going to try and take him back. If you watched it live, you know what I'm talking about. But the question is, who will question him? And the French have a certain reputation, believe it or not, for a kind of special toughness, even brutality in the matter of prisoner interrogation. And they're unencumbered by some of the laws that limit our law enforcement authorities. This guy should see more water than Jacques Cousteau. Seven on the Blaze Radio Network. Is the Jay Severin Show. There's many political parties, but political parties choose their nominee, not the general public, uh, contrary to popular belief. Then why bother Again, holding the primaries? That's a very good question. That is a very good question. That's why people died? That's why our people fought and died? People don't select the candidates. The party does. That guy can't understand why we're confused. Well, then why have primaries, says the reporter. That's a very good question, says the senior member of the Standing Rules Committee of the Republican National Committee. By the way, two things very quickly before I close the or turn the page for the moment on this uh most wanted terrorist grabbed today, uh, slobby, sliced hammy. I just want again to say this guy should spend, already started, I hope, should spend more time underwater in the next six days than Jacques Cousteau spent underwater in his lifetime. Waterboarding? Waterboarding? You bring out a big diving board from the Olympics for openers. And then a fuel truck filled with something like water. Only they just cleaned out the porta potties. Waterboarding? This guy should break underwater records. Until finally he, they're saying in a year, is he still down there? You keep going there, Al, uh, sliced hammy. Well done. It's a new record every minute. Also, headline, the group Hackers Anonymous claims to have hacked Donald Trump's an enormous amount of personal information from Donald Trump, his uh, personal correspondence, his life, his family, his children, his wife, his business, his associates, etc. As yet, there is no verification of this um, vile act, if it's been done to anyone. Uh, but so far, every time Anonymous has said they've done such a thing, it has been verified that they have done it. So, we shall see. Again, uh, the 
the Trump despisers. And I'm I don't know I don't I don't I don't despise Trump. I just don't want him near you know 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue even as a visitor. But the Trump despisers because they have Trump derangement syndrome will perhaps perhaps not recognize that what they're probably doing is creating an enormous backlash of sympathy for him depending on what comes out. But if they hope, as so many have, that you're going to knock him out of the race because there's something, I don't know, I suppose it's possible. Uh, if, if, if he had a conversation on tape with Hillary Clinton last night saying, I can't believe these rubes are taking the bait. Just wait till I get elected, Hillary, and you and Bill will be queen and king of the world. I'm with you. Uh, You know, I suppose that might put a dent in the Trump surge, delegate surge. But short of that, probably a sympathy backlash. What do you think? 1-888-900-3393. Here's your headline. Best and brightest, my dear friends, and you are. The headlines will change next hour. The headlines are changing virtually every hour. There has never been an American political event or an American political epoch, presidential or otherwise, that swung wildly from side to side, not merely day to day, Not merely news cycle to news cycle, but literally, literally, hour to hour, as this one does. As I discussed with my partners and friends, Doc and Skip, the other night in our Blaze special, the old pendulum, the creaky old pendulum that used to swing back and forth with never more quickness, than one president to another. The quickest that old pendulum ever swung was quadrennially. Every four years, at the quickest. And that's very recent. In America, the reason, in my view, we existed for so long as America is because that pendulum did not swing very rapidly. Because that pendulum represents a sea change of American culture and values, enough so that the president that we elect and cheer for and a majority of people vote for him or her and we cheer, yay, and we're all filled with hope and, and, and enthusiasm. And then four years later, which is the blink of an eye, boo, boo, you bum, you mutt, get out of there. Now, that, that is American, and that is a fairly new phenomenon that the pendulum could swing in four years. All of us, even if we're the victims of American public schools, have learned growing up what the pendulum is. Well, it looks like the pendulum has swung, or looks like the pendulum has reached its apex. Uh, looks like the pendulum is swinging back. 
You know, what happens when the pendulum returns? And you know what? The pendulum has always swung and has always returned. But it has never done so with swiftness that exceeded the quadrennial cycle of American presidents and presidential campaigns. And now the pendulum is more like a... Like a metronome that you put in front of a piano student or a violin student or a cello student that keeps time. The pendulum has become a metronome. I don't believe that's modernity. I don't believe that's progress. I believe that's dangerous. And it continues and it shortens and the metronome speeds up and twerking becomes what next? Trump rallies become Trump riots become Trump saying, if I don't get the nomination and I have the plurality of votes, bad things are going to happen and there could be riots and it goes where? Before Trump said that, we discussed on this show, it's a good thing I got it out of my mouth rather than wait a day, because if I wait a day, it becomes old news, old theory. A day or two before everyone was talking about that, we were saying one of the things we miss when things speed up like this is the question people used to ask themselves around the fire when they had fires and time to cogitate. They would sit down, usually with members of the family, and one of the elders of the family would ask a question like, I don't know, this is all very queer. I can't help but wonder, where is it leading us? What happens next? What is the only logical next step in what we're seeing here. Nothing stays the same for long. This will become something, and it will become something more extreme. So knowing the, knowing the formula, what does that give us? What's, what's going to happen next? Well, we can never, almost never, figure out what's going to happen next. Oh, save a few gifted individuals. Holy cow! But... But we can at least ask ourselves the questions. Where does this logically lead? Where are we going from here? Which is a reason that we must consider anew each day the fundamental dynamics that are going to end this mystery story or horror story, depending on where you stand. I think there are four that occur to me. Four questions, four curiosities that we share or I would submit to you that we ought to share and they come after this short break Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network And partners on the Blaze 
Radio Network, one 3393 Consider it a think piece with my apologies. It is a Friday. We've been through a lot this week. Think of the change we've seen this week, just this week, and think of the pendulum becoming a metronome. And th- and what does that mean? Four things occurred to me. I made some notes uh, last night. Actually, I, w- I was thinking of it, and I had to wake up, turn the light on, and make them. And so some of it's going to be, you know, but... I'll try to I'll try to translate my own notes. Uh, one is the convention, and all of the bizarre and anti-democratic permutations therefrom that now have suddenly become not merely possible but likely. All our lives, we've enjoyed the 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 fruits of being the legatees of people who in addition to working for a living and raising their children and having the same responsibilities we do under, I must say, harsher circumstances than we, they still managed enough of them to think about their form of government and to go vote and to, and to keep this thing called America you know, going. And a convention that was open was not a bad thing. It was and still could be a good thing. It all depends on the motives. You know, an open convention is not ipso facto, is not by that thing itself, is not a bad thing. It probably will be a bad thing if there's one this year, but it is not over time ipso facto a bad thing. It means that a lot of Americans are engaged and can't decide on one person, and usually it comes down to two people, and they hash it out. That's an open convention. That's a contested convention. A brokered convention is foul and always has been. A brokered convention is an essentially anti-democratic crime. It is... Party bosses, all the same then and now, going into a back room, no transparency, out of sight of the public, out of participation of the people, and deciding who the candidates will be because they, the bosses, don't like the people we, the people, have chosen by democratic means. It is anti-constitutional. It is a crime. It is a crime against us as Americans that someone would try to change the will of the people, not the people changing their own minds or cutting a deal between themselves when they have two or three favorites, but but the party bosses going in and saying, well, you know, screw them. Here's what it's going to be. Because we have to know that these rules are all going to be changed. I, I know I've said this a lot. I'm inclined when I when I say things first, I say them a lot because I want to make sure that, well, I want you to give me credit for saying them first. I suppose there's some of that. But also I generally think they're important. They derive from 30 years experience 
in a business, the only one I've ever really known. And I think I've learned something. And one of the things I've learned is the rules for each convention die with each convention. And it was today, today, I heard my mentor, my friend, a hero of mine, Rush, say, hey, look, all the delegates have to vote for, you know, we don't know a lot about the conventions, but we do know this. All the delegates are bound to vote for their guy on the first ballot. And then after that, anything's possible. And Rush, I love you. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but for you. And almost everybody in radio owes their job to you. So, I, I mean, I'm nothing special. I mean, I, I just want you to know, but, sir, you're not right about this. It may, you may turn out to be right when they adopt the rules for the 2016 convention. But those rules are yet to be adopted. And right now, there are no rules for the 2016 convention. And just because those were the rules of the 2012 convention and because they have historically been the rules doesn't mean they're going to be the rules this time, especially when the people who hate the top two candidates that the people have produced are determined to deny the people their say and their vote. We need to be aware of this. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. The good news of the day, and there is some good news. That is the chief Paris slaughter terrorist is shot, but alive. It's okay. Dead swine, oink, no tails. Get it? So it's okay that he's alive, just so long as he spends more time underwater in the next six weeks than Jacques Cousteau did in a career. Excelsior! Welcome back, my radio family, my partners, my friends. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network, 1-888-900-3393, 1-888-900-3393. We have partners on the phone. I said earlier I thought there were four things to sort of bear in mind at the end here of what has been, a, it's never going to end. Well, it is at some point, but it's not going to, this week is not going to end because it's Friday. We've learned that. But let's use Friday as a marker to try and contain within limits our, our for our sanity's sake, you have some markers here, some sense of a beginning and a middle and an end, so we can exhale just a little, even though this weekend does not promise to give us much respite from what we have been through, we who follow this stuff. I said there are probably four things it it occurs to me to bear in mind at the end of this week. 
uh, and I mentioned uh, uh, two of them. You know, one one is the dizzying change with which things are happening, and for people who care and want to know, want the explanation, want some background, it's hard work. It's time consuming. It's tough, and some of it is depressing on the spirit. So when you have to count on your faith and your family and you, the th- your friends and the things that matter to you, no, I'm serious because if you really follow this stuff, even the so-called good news of capturing the terrorist, you know, comes with it a, a, a raft of gruesome details and memories and what ifs and now this and now that and you know, there's no there's no rest. Uh, number two is is the convention. Uh, you know, they're going to change the rules. And and I just don't want you to be surprised by this. I receive so many tweets from such good people saying, no, no, I'm a delegate. I know they can't change the rules once our state convention meets. I'm a state delegate. These are the rules. First ballot. Guys, the establishmentarians of the, the rhinos, of the RNC, are going to make sure they have their jobs, their buildings, their expense accounts. Again, no living organism ever fails to fight for its own survival. And the establishmentarians know that if Donald Trump or Ted Cruz are elected, their world could come to a close. I don't know about Trump. They could have it fatter and better than ever if Trump is elected. I am deeply suspicious of Trump's uh, behavior. I don't. I don't know if he's going to be a conservative at all. I don't know if he's going to jack taxes up and increase spending. I don't know if he's going to grow government. I don't know what he's going to do. I do know what Ted Cruz is going to do. That's why they hate Cruz. That's why they fear Ted Cruz more than Trump because Cruz is change, real change good change, and they know it. In any case, they're going to change the rules of the convention. I don't want you to have your heart broken in addition to your back broken. Don't don't be sickened and despondent when you think you know because somebody said it on TV that, well, they all have to vote for the same the right, the person who won them on the first ballot. First of all, that rule doesn't exist. That rule does not exist. Now, should it come to again exist, it will exist so long as the establishmentarians of the Republican Party feel that it serves them. If they come at any moment to believe that it ill serves them, they will use some little-known codicil, and they will go into a back room, and they will change the rule, like, that and it will happen before we know it and it will happen and there isn't anything that we can do about it but but become accustomed to the idea if you want to deal here with very toss with truth become accustomed to the sensation here of knowing that those rules you keep hearing ill-informed people talk about those rules don't exist. Those rules are the wizard of Oz. And when the rules come to exist for this convention, 
still at least a month away from being made, even once made, they can be changed the morning of the convention, at lunchtime, at dinner, overnight, next morning at breakfast, any day, any time, anywhere, by anyone with the power to do so, and they will. People who have kids in college and jobs and company cars and company expense accounts and guaranteed lifetime jobs with guaranteed pensions and guaranteed influence in a boys' club which has run Washington for 100 years or more are not giving up. They're not moving into a studio apartment and their kids going to community colleges. That's for you. That's not for them. They're not going to permit that to happen. And all that need happen for that to happen is that they just do it. And they are going to do it whenever they may need to. Number two or three or wherever we are. The various possibilities of the matchups. Is someone going to cut a ticket deal like Trump and Kasich? The problem with it is, well, there are manifest problems with it. There are too many problems for a two-hour show. But what is the problem with a Trump-Kasich ticket? Uh, Other than it will lose... The problem is that it's Trump and Kasich. It's it's a real possibility. In the minds of the rhino establishmentarians, a Trump-Kasich deal is a dream ticket. A ticket is a dream deal for them. They're not going to give it. They, with the power to make it happen, are not going to easily abandon their dream, are they? Trump plus Ted Cruz. I like it except for the obvious need for inversion, transposition. It needs to be Cruz plus, I mean, I really don't know, you know, if I could personally take Trump as number two. I don't know what his supporters would do. I, but I, Ted Cruz at the top of the ticket is an, a wonderful start to the solution to this grave political problem we have on our hands at the moment. Trump plus somebody we haven't thought of, or way more likely, way more likely. Now this is this is what the rhinos will be thinking of if they fold. If they, if they get scared, if they listen to the point of view, the very reasonable point of view that says, what are you going to do? Are you going to open a convention that has two candidates with huge amounts of votes and support that add up to the vast majority of your party and you're going to blow them off both? And you're going to pick someone else entirely? 
And you're going to spend, what, the next six months on your knees begging these people to come back? You're going to lose the election. You're going to guarantee yourself a third-party run, which is going to guarantee a a Clinton presidency. Are you really going to do that? Are you really going to have two guys show up with the vast majority of delegates' votes and support and then blow them both off? Is that what you're going to do? If... If that line of thinking ends up penetrating the very thick skulls of the rhino establishmentarians, then they'll say, okay, maybe we need to start thinking about Trump and Cruz in some combination, or Trump, Cruz, Kasich in some combination, or maybe throw Rubio in there, or maybe throw Heb, although that, that crosses pretty much into the you know, stranger category but if they're not afraid and they've shown no evidence thus far they are if they tend to go if they're intending to go their own way and all the evidence suggests thus far that they are and that they don't give a crap what you think and they feel they can pull this off no matter what they decide to do then they're not going to be bothered with the crud that you the voter that we, the people, have by democratic means produced, they're not going to be troubled by that. They're not going to lose a step over that. They're going to say, our ticket is Paul Ryan and John Kasich. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And these are my partners, Glenn from the Kwamenwealth. Glenn? Hi, how are you, Jay? I'm well, sir. Thank you for inquiring. Hey, uh, first, before I get to my question, have you heard anything from Rocky? Uh, uh, Rocky and I have corresponded. Oh, excellent. Okay. I just was so I guess the answer is sorry. The answer is yes. Excellent. Okay, uh, to my question, uh, you were talking about some deal-making that could conceivably take place uh, ahead of the convention. Uh, I was wondering... Or during. Uh, if, or uh, True, or during. I was wondering if, if the numbers worked out such that it could potentially make sense, uh, could a possible deal between um, the guys uh, for, from Cruz and from Trump uh, that... Hey, um, suppose I uh, you you bow out and throw your uh, support behind me. Uh, do you think Cruz would take um, an assurance of a Supreme Court nomination? It's a good question, about which I think a lot of us are, and have been cur- naturally curious. So I salute you for that. There are automatically, automatically two questions there, Glenn. Not one. One is. And the most important one, I mean, there would be people who would argue I'm, I'm screwing this up, that number two is in real life, number one, and I'm being naive, but let me be naive. I, 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 I'm going to say this is number one. Is that what Ted would 
want. Is that what Ted, I mean, I mean, of course, if you can be president, that's what you want. But Absolutely. If, the, if, if the harshest reality forms such that it appears Ted, this time anyway, has no path to becoming president, I would want to know whether Ted would be happy with that, whether he'd be fulfilled, whether he, you know, honestly, in his heart of hearts, because, you know, we're not going to hear it in public. I mean, someone like Glenn may know the answer to this, but if he does, and probably does, but he, you know, Glenn's not at liberty to share it with us. But if, if his closest, closest friends and his family know that in his heart, that, that Ted Cruz would be happy with a place on the United States Supreme Court for life, would he regard it as an adequately substantial uh, a parting gift here on The Price is Right? You know, as, 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 as a, uh, you didn't win, but here's what we do have for you. Tell him, tell him, Ed, you know, uh, w- would this be a consolation prize worthy of Ted Cruz? Well, I, I I believe, given the match of what I think of the United States Supreme Court, what I would argue it is, and has always been, and hope it will always be, that the match between that and Ted Cruz is a very, very worthy match. I just don't know if Ted thinks so. And so, I, I, in a way, I'm I'm trying to reserve judgment, in a sense, because I would never want to say... You know, yeah, I think that's a good idea unless I first heard Ted Cruz say, I want the people who support me to, you know, to feel okay about this. I've decided this is what I want. And, you know, then I, as a follower uh, of Ted Cruz's and, uh, you know, I would, I would be not maybe delighted, but I'd be satisfied maybe. But here's the second question. (laughs) Of all of the offices, of all of the political deals, Glenn, that are on their face, unenforceable, unpromisable, you've just named it. How do, how does Donald Trump or any other candidate promise anybody a seat on the Supreme Court. What has to happen, just fundamentally, not in great detail, what are the completely unknowable and completely combustible, fateful things that have to line up in the great casino of life in order for me to make good to you a promise that you're giving up a shot at President of the United States, but it's okay because I'm going to promise you, Glenn, a seat on the Supreme Court. What's the first thing that has to happen, Glenn? You have to be able to put forward a nominee. You have to win. You have to be president. Oh. And and we don't know that that's going to happen uh, to the person making that promise. I would tell you maybe that's number two. Number one is you have to be telling the truth. You have to be telling the unshakable truth. 
you have to be making a commitment to someone such that no matter how much things changed or how much pressure was put on you or that you could never go back to Ted Cruz and say, Ted, I really meant it when I offered this, but as I'm sure you can understand, some things have changed and now it's kind of out of my hands. And you might have the best possible argument to make as to why that is. And a reasonable man like Ted Cruz might have to say, you know what? I understand. I hate it, but I understand it. So you've got Trump has to mean it. Trump has to be able to control it. Trump has to get elected so he can control it. And beyond that, Glenn, it's uncontrollable because all you can do is send it up to the Senate Judiciary Committee. You cannot guarantee the committee will report it out for a floor vote. And then if it hits a floor vote, there's no way in the world you can guarantee that a floor vote will come out with a majority for Ted Cruz. And guess what? Can you name anybody, Glenn, less likely to win a vote of senators? It wouldn't be easy. For sure. You know, you you are the cockeyed optimist, my friend. No, no, easy it would not be. In fact, I'm sure I have missed some major obstacles in this horse race, but man, I don't think so. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And as they say in sports radio, when no one has called for four or five hours in the middle of the night, we have one line open at one 888 We never have a situation in which no one calls for four or five hours because this is a two-hour show. Uh, anyway, uh, no, but we, do, we, we have no calls at the moment, and I always take that as a reflection on me. But somehow, I always get over it. one 3393 Now, breaking news. Mitt Romney has announced... Mitt Romney, uh, a man of many states, is registered to vote in the state of Utah. Mitt will caucus in Utah tomorrow. No, no, not tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, Mitt will caucus in Utah Tuesday. Let me see. Arizona, Utah, Idaho. Yeah, yeah, Tuesday. Uh, Mitt, Mitt is, has announced he will caucus for Ted Cruz. Now, Sebi asked me a minute ago, is, uh, is that a surprise? And it, truly the answer is yes and no, because it is... Two questions uh, posing as one. Is it a surprise? Yes, because, I mean, aren't you surprised? What what has Mitt Romney done to help or speak well of Ted Cruz so far? Answer, nothing. Nothing. So, 
it is ipso facto a surprise when it turns into something, something. And the something is that Mitt will caucus for Ted Cruz in Utah. But the second question automatically posed is, so what? I mean, what, what, it, what it, is this significant? And if so, how? Well, it may well not be significant. And here's how. Mitt has already announced that his strategy for now, at least, is to checkerboard hopscotch around the map, doing whatever he can for, no, wrong preposition. Mitt has pledged to hopscop around the, hopscotch around the map, pledging to hurt Donald Trump wherever and however he may be able. Big diff. So this is not a Cruz endorsement. Uh, I'm not sure how terribly disappointed Ted may be that that it isn't. I'd have to think about it a little. I mean, were I advising Ted, would I want Mitt's endorsement? Maybe. Maybe not. Or maybe not right now. I don't know. I have to, I'd have to think about it. What I want is behind-the-scenes support. Oh, absolutely. Mitt has a lot of influence with the establishmentarians, of whom he is one, You know, deciding the convention and all those other things behind the scenes. So Mitt, Mitt might be a useful friend to have if you are Ted Cruz. But in any case, as for Mitt deciding to caucus for Ted Cruz in Utah, it is merely for now, until we hear, unless we hear otherwise, it is just a part, uh, the next rolling piece of Mitt Romney's tactical uh, approach to this, which is do in each state, such as he may be able, whatever he can to harm the Trump campaign by helping any other Republican. And so Mitt said, as you know, in Florida, vote for Rubio. In Ohio, vote for Kasich. You know, in states where you think he can win, vote for Cruz. I believe Mitt has said that, and that's the only other uh, thing that's even remotely like a positive word about Ted that I think Mitt has said. But the most recent thing is he's going to caucus for Cruz in Utah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I'd like to make the movie that premieres in Sundance at Sundance next year, caucusing for Cruz in Utah. But we'll we'll see Uh, what happens here. Is that we cross. A timeline and we get into the mountain states and the southwest. Arizona. Idaho. Utah. They do not have smashing numbers of delegates because they have such modest populations. But no state is unimportant. We recently had a presidency arguably determined by New Hampshire's four electoral uh, college votes. Nobody discounts the importance of any delegate 
especially these days. So no one is woo-wooing themselves into a frenzy over, you know, can't wait, breaking into a sweat, waiting for the results in Idaho and Utah and Arizona. But you know what? At this point, at this historic moment, this, this history we're making together, every state matters because every state or group of states, every voting day with blocks of voters tells its own story. If all three of those states go one way, that's going to be a big story. I don't care who they go for. I mean, I care deeply who they go for. I want them to go for Ted Cruz. I'm saying what I meant was it doesn't matter for whom they go. If they all went for one person, that's going to be a big story. The media right now is crawling through the desert. The media is not exactly like a camel. A camel can go for such long periods in arid climbs without water because of its unique metabolism. So it's only been a week since really Super Tuesday. Camels are not yet thirsty, but the media are more like sharks. You take them out of the water, and after one news cycle, forget a week, after a news cycle, they're flip, flip, flop, flop, flip, flopping around on the deck like a cod you just took out of the net. You know, they're gasping for air. And in this case, air means news, news, give me some news, any news, anything, anything, anything I can construe to be news. So even though Idaho, Arizona, and Utah are limited in their ability to, you know, weave of them a tapestry of big political news, even though that's limited, the news media is going to be dying of news thirst by this Tuesday. And you know what will make it worse? They had to crawl through the Gobi of the weekend without a vote and Monday night without a debate. Because as you know, there was a debate scheduled on Fox this Monday night. And Trump canceled it. But you say, wait a second, Jay, that's not accurate. Trump didn't cancel the the debate. Fox canceled the debate. Trump canceled the debate. Because when Trump decided he wasn't going to do it, the, 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 that put, for the, for the five minutes or five hours that were in doubt, the networks were pooping bricks. Because imagine if Ted Cruz, and Ted was very willing, and I'm sorry as a Ted Cruz guy, I am sorry that he won't be debating on Tuesday night. He needs more airtime. We need more airtime for Ted to tell his story. And Monday night would have been great. So Ted would show up. And all we needed was Kasich to show up too. Now, you know what's wicked queer here? Is that wouldn't you think that Kasich having fought for attention, I could say all this month or I could say all his life, don't you think that Kasich, look at, we started out with 17 people, and Kasich jumped in when it was down to, what, five people. Kasich has never known the spotlight 
of being really until the last few hours, you know, Kasich has never known the presidential spotlight. All of a sudden it's on him. And had he agreed to debate Monday night, you'd, he would be in the big time. Ladies and gentlemen, I direct your attention <laughs> to the center ring where you will find our two top performing beasts of the political jungle. Ted Cruz and the new Johnny boy, John Kasich. Woo-hoo-hoo! And John Kasich would be able to step up from his hometown success in winning Iowa to the national stage and be one of two, one of two debate participants. Why wouldn't Kasich do this? If you're thinking to yourself, self, if I'm advising Kasich, I say, Johnny boy, Johnny boy, do this, do this. You'll be a star. You will be one of two people. You could never have exposure like this. You, you, you've been begging for exposure like this. It's just you and Ted Cruz. And Kasich said no. And when Kasich said no, it gave the networks the out to say, oh, well, we can't do it if it's just one person. So they, they shut it down quicker than something I could say that I once heard a Navy Master Chief say that was very funny, but I can't say it on the radio. But it's something that means really quick. So they shut that down, saving the networks. Meanwhile, Kasich saved himself. Why? Why doesn't Kasich want that exposure? Why? Kasich doesn't want that exposure because he doesn't want to be, and will not, voluntarily step into any sphere where he might have to say something negative about Donald Trump. No, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. Won't do it. Wouldn't be prudent because John Kasich, according to one school of thought, is the remora fish, the pilot fish, who has planned to suckle on Donald Trump from the very beginning, that this was his plan. This is how he attaches himself to Trump and makes himself so valuable to Trump. Get in, win Ohio, immediately be a VP choice for Trump. Or, in Kasich's unstable mind, he may really believe he doesn't need Trump, that this means he can run for president because he's a good guy and a moderate. And those other guys are, you know, Cro-Magnum man. They're, they're conservatives. People don't like that. But they love me, thinks John. That's why he will not get in a debate where he might have to say something conservative. Debate? Say something conservative? Say something against Donald Trump? No thanks. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. With you, my partners on the Blaze Radio Network, look for these two things uh, in uh, ascending order of prominence. The Democrats are building a new argument, and it is kind of a hit and move on argument. And it is, uh, and you know who said it? Obama. 
Obama has come out of the closet in the last 14 hours. Obama has announced this morning that Democrats need to get behind Hillary Clinton. He hasn't formally endorsed her, but this is good enough. This is close enough. Obama has said Democrats need to get behind Hillary Clinton. What it suggests is they're panicking a little bit. And that's really good news. I'll decipher it further as I understand it further. But uh, his coming out now and saying get behind Hillary when he said he would never endorse uh, before the convention and all that. Okay, there's that. But he, the president, said this and Democrats are echoing it all over the country. They want, they, meaning you, they want Donald Trump to pick the next justice of the United States Supreme Court? See, this gives Obama a twofer. He can not only complain about Republican resistance to giving him his pick, but but, but when complaining about the Republicans are being unreasonable, they won't give me my pick, it's their job, they should have hearings, they should have a vote, then he gets to hit him with the old P.S. And all of this because they want Donald Trump to pick the, pick the next justice, the United States Supreme Court, I must say, even though Obama said it, when something really scary is said, it's scary. And that, that is scary. And a quickly developing national media meme is this. And watch out for this. Listen for it during the weekend. Trump is a racist. And all reasonable people know this so goes the standard everyone knows trump is a racist and the media can't hide from it trump is a racist and ipso facto if you don't call him a racist then you are a racist too and so these groups are calling out the media national media and saying you're committing malpractice as a journalist and you're committing racism if you don't report as a news fact that Trump is a racist. And so it goes. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.